So uh, the talk will be done by uh, by Geoffroy about uh, putting some uh, resilience in your infrastructure. Okay. So yeah, uh, I'll talk about something that we deployed in our company that's called Immutable Infrastructure. So I work at Clever Cloud. We are a platform as service hosting company. The, the kind of you just git push your code and it will be built and run and monitored and secured and whatever. Uh, basically, remote code execution as a service. Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's web hosting. And I mostly uh, follow Twitter for security news and tell the colleagues to update stuff. And let's go through a small scenario that happens to a lot of us. Okay, we have an application. It's nice, it's shiny, like... Uh, a six-month-old WordPress or something like that. Okay, someone got in there, did stuff like now it's serving porn or sending spam or whatever. It's mining Monero or... Okay, we found the server, we found the point of entry, we patched the server. Do we just put it back in the, in the infrastructure? Like, do we just reuse it from there? Uh, can we be sure that uh, there's no uh, any more flow, any more backdoor? So I know lots of people here are good enough to, to know. Like they will spend the time on the server and they will know. On our scale, like, okay, someone got into a server, let's, we have thousands of servers, we just, what, what do we do? Would we spend like a week trying to clean stuff? Can, can we just spend the time to just, okay, where's the back door? Are all the systems always up to date? How do we do that? So first, like when I started the, the web development and I tried to host stuff for my clients, that was like the traditional ops way. There's a server I get from, I don't know, OVH or something, and I install stuff manually. Uh, sometimes, like every day, I go, oh, there's an update or something, and I apply the update. Oh, it's, I have to apply the update and restart or, uh, or clean up something in the database or whatever, and there needs to be an upgrade window. So I tell my client, okay, so the seat will be down from like uh, Friday, 12 p.m. to Monday. Should be okay. So. When we have this process and someone got into the server, maybe we just say, let's just wipe the server. I don't want to spend time like cleaning up the server when I know that someone will just get in there like later if I, for if I forgot about something. Like so let's just reinstall, maybe, from scratch. Problem is, if I do that manually, it's still, um, I won't, it's not standardized. I won't know if uh, it's the exact same server, if it's up to date uh, like I wanted, I can have procedures and things like that. But uh, we want to make that like, more reproducible. So uh, we heard about techniques like using Chef or Puppet or Ansible or Salt and whatever other solution exists. The idea of the solution is you get a server, you get SSH access, and some service will go and install stuff there. So it's nice, it's standardized, 
but it's still like um, there's a small window between the time the server boots and the time everything is installed, up to date, etc. When you when you're nearly sure that the server is the way we want, uh, we've all seen like the the, the metrics on what happens on a Windows server that's put on the internet for the first time without update. It's like in two three minutes, some someone is in there because like we have so many so much stuff to apply before. And the the issue with the systems is that they're they're always modifying a server in place. So if there's a part of the configuration that some sometime like I don't know someone was debugging something and change the configuration value, uh, they will just modify that instead uh, in place, and they can break the the production. So you can think if we have the process to just generate a server, an, an entire server recipe, and we can do that like can create a server from scratch. Why not, at every update, reinstall a server? It's, it's not that hard. We can just, okay, we have the, the old server that was exploited, or we have just an update to make. Let's trash the previous server and put a new one in production. And so that, that's the point of immutable infrastructure. You do not modify a running server. You always start from a clean slate. You standardize everything. And then you make sure that you can automate everything, everything, everything. So, because um, when you have stuff like chef and others, you're already starting to automate. Uh, whatever you will do manually, you will fail at it. So it's a way to see your infrastructure as something that will just run itself. We'll see one, one thing that just pushed us in that direction, that we realized virtual machines are very, are very cheap can just start a virtual machine, stop one, and start one, and stop one. And it's not a process that's very, very involved. So you can just do that all the time instead of uh, having very long-lived virtual machines or, uh, I don't know, um, investing in VMware solution to migrate via virtual machine from one place to the next and whatever. Just don't need to do that. Just make sure that uh, your infrastructure and your application will support having instances that pop on and uh, off. Why? Because they will be very short-lived. Like, on our system, every time you do git push on the, uh, on the infrastructure, it will build the code and start new virtual machines. And the, 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 over, the, uh, the over virtual machine will just be dropped. So, you, you know, always know like those, those people that are very, very proud of their server time. For us, if a server has more than a few days of uptime, we just, okay, what's wrong? Who did not do anything on that server? Why wasn't there an update applied? Everything should be automated on that, and servers should not live very long. To support that, we also get some uh, very nice practice on deployment, like blue-green deployment is the idea that when you have a new version, you start the new instances, you do not stop the previous one, you just do health check on the new instances, and if they're running correctly, you route to the new ones. And then you drop the previous one when they stop handling traffic. This is a side effect that will be nice with immutable infrastructure. It's like you, have, you can just roll out upgrades without caring about the, the state of the application. We just make sure that uh, new traffic will go to the new application if it's running correctly. And 
one of the huge, huge benefits in there, since virtual machines are very, very short-lived, you limit the persistence. Like, if someone gets in there and gets in an application, like, I don't know, uh, they will install a backdoor and uh, the next day the, the server will be gone. So, as I said before, we, are, we, we offer remote code execution as a service, so if someone wants to run code on one of our virtual machines, they can just put a credit card in the system and they will, they will do it. But if you get your application exploited, soon they will be, they will be out of the virtual machine. So how, how does it work? How do we do that? Uh, it needs like a bit of a level grease. So it's a bit of a novel process and there's a lot of automation to do. Uh, first, it's better if the applications are stateless and follow more or less the 12-factor uh, design. The idea is like you do not write stuff to the file system. You use external services like S3. Uh, you use uh, environment variables or another separate part of the configuration that's standardized to get the information like on which port do I listen and that kind of thing. And you get a standard way to compile an application and uh, like get assets and that kind of thing and launch it. Because once I have built the application, I can just launch as many instances as I want and it will be quite easy and quite fast. On the infrastructure side, I need a way to design a base for my application to run in, so in a, a virtual machine image. And I need, I need to know how to build them quickly enough so I can deploy the application quickly enough, how to transport them everywhere on each hypervisor, and then handle routing, monitoring, and uh, networking. So for the image design, there are, there are, very, there are a few ways. Uh, right now, people will try to sell you containers. Uh, they have benefits, they have security drawbacks that I won't get into now, but the idea is you package an entire file system, you have everything, you have the operating system, you have the, the, the language, you have the application, you, you have, and every time there's an update, even on the base image, on the base OS, you have to rebuild everything. So it's, it's quite used, uh, it's not what we like. We prefer using virtual machines, uh, so a basic virtual image that we have one per language, like we have one virtual machine image for PHP, one for Node.js, one for Haskell, one for Rust, uh, one for MongoDB, one for MySQL, etc., etc. And we boot the virtual machine image, and then we download the application package that we built and run it from there. So we don't move around big images everywhere. We just have small part and small application that's, that are deployed. Uh, there's an hybrid approach between the two for containers uh, that's used. Uh, uh, so it, this is quite frowned upon by Docker fans and stuff, but in big companies uh, that use a lot of containers, they do that a lot, like a uh, container image that has the, the base platform. Like uh, we have lots of Haskell containers, and they load the application by bindmoment uh, a bit like we do. Uh, to create the image. First part that where we went a bit, a bit weird. We chose a Linux distribution that's called Exerbo. It's derived from Gen2. Uh, it's quite good to manage a lot of patches internally, like custom patches applied uh, before the, the upstream 
ascend them or that kind of thing, or optimizing exactly for the, the machine we want. And we can deactivate uh, features like system-wide. You can say, OK, if I don't want any Python in my code, all of the libs or, or systems that have like Python bindings or parts that use that, that will be disabled. So this is a good way to make like very, very small package very well optimized for our system. We messed a bit with the kernel um, to make sure it's optimized for our hardware. We make sure that uh, we don't have any modules that are not useful for us. So no uh, dynamic loading of modules, at least if not, you're not root, and uh, no modules that you don't need. Because if you want to add, to add a new module, uh, we'll just modify the base image and redeploy the base image instead of going into the server and enabling a module. If we, if we see a module loading in the, kernel, in the kernel, there's something wrong that should not happen. We need a way to build everything, like the, the images and uh, the application code and that kind of thing. We have just huge servers that are just running and running and running. Make sure that we always build the same way and that the, we generate package that can be deployed very easily and they are very small. Another nice idea we got to deploy stuff all of the images are deployed via BitTorrent to all the servers. We had at least one warning from the Steam company at some point. They said, yeah, why are you doing BitTorrent on our infrastructure? It's weird. Well, they just, yeah, but it's a network protocol. Use that. It's cool. So from there, you need to boot the image. So the hypervisor will just answer a request from the system, okay, I have some room for this server, I have this version of the PHP image, and I can start a virtual machine, get the application code, start it, and then, okay, we are live. Now, I talked before about Brooklyn deployment. We need a way to, to tell the, load, the front load balancers that, okay, uh, this application that was on this backend server, now it's on this server one. And we have to do that like multiple times per second. Because for every, uh, every application that changes, every redeployment, we have to, to change the load balancer configuration. So we tried to do that like with HAProxy. And for HAProxy, it was a nightmare because every time we restarted, uh, we, we changed the configuration, we had to restart. And so processes were just piling up. And we had to kill processes and kill connections and whatever. So they made a few changes for that, but it's still not well adapted for what we do. So we, the, we developed uh, HTTP reverse proxy called Sozu uh, in Rust with, uh, with Norm and uh, stuff like that Pierre used uh, a bit earlier. He shamed a bit of my code. I, I saw that. Uh, <laughs> and so we use that to have a reverse proxy that can just change its routing configuration at runtime without downtime. It, it's quite quite nice to use, and we we're testing that in production right now. Uh, so, lots of uh, pieces to assemble. There's one, one more that's interesting. Oh, I think I forgot one slide. Yeah, I forgot one slide about uh, because in the title there was zero trust networking. Um, most databases and like most applications that people build are building. 
They just assume that uh, they are they're on the trusted network. It's like we can go and tell developers and database administrators that, okay, no, the, everything is on the cloud or in the, on the internet or whatever, whatever you want or inside your company, but it's on a network, on a network that anybody can ping. So do not assume that you're just uh, well at home, well isolated. But people will keep building up like that. So we had an idea. Since uh, we're moving applications here and there, it will be hard to like, network them correctly. And we started testing the WireGuard VPN application that's been merged in the kernel recently um, to make a VPN between all of the instances of an application. And in one organization for one client, we have all of these applications, all of its databases that will appear in the same subnetwork that's encrypted by, uh, by WireGuard. And all of our infrastructure for deploying code and configuration can be used to deploy keys. So it reduces all of the problems people have with WireGuard with just, okay, we have one more field to, to move here and there. And so application will appear to just send data here and there to, to each other as if on a trusted network, but they, they're just everything encrypted. So this, this would be quite nice, quite nice to use. And so the last issue we could get is about the monitoring. Because most systems in monitoring, they're used to see servers, very long-lived servers. And when you say, okay, I have this application, and it's been today on these servers for, from uh, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m., and from 9 a.m. to uh, 11.30 on that one, etc., etc., and on, on multiple servers, and they just keep popping up and down, and like Zabbix, Nagios, and whatever, they do not like that. And uh, so you can use stuff like Prometheus. Again, we had the nice idea to say, okay, let's not do what people do and do our own system. Uh, there are very good reasons in that. It's like we have to run at a scale where a system like Prometheus will just fail. So we found this nice uh, little time series database that's called Warpten, developed by a small company in Brest, in the west of France. And Basically, it's based on huge Hadoop clusters where you just send everything, and they have a nice stack language to, uh, to do queries on everything. And so we have lots and lots of very small time series. So lots of tooling. Uh, lots of this is very, very involved, very specific to what we did at Clever Cloud. Uh, there are still some benefits you can, uh, you can get. So Getting there is a lot of step, like making sure that you can build everything in a reproducible way, uh, starting virtual machines very, very fast stuff. But you can start building stuff like that with Docker, Kubernetes, Prometheus, etc. Uh, it will be a bit involved as well, but you can do that. And the, the benefits will, you will have are, are there in terms of security, uh, observability of the system, and just plain agility for the developers. Like, you will just tell people, okay, you can just create as many instances of your application as you want. You can add a new language here and there. You, you're not just preventing everybody from running code. Just say, okay, run code, and uh, it will be up, up, and down. Uh, we don't have to monitor as, as closely as before, as before because uh, the, the short-lived 
system, we make sure that uh, there, there will be no, no repair systems. Uh, and if you're very, very lazy and you don't want to do that yourself, you can just call us because we can install that on, our, on your servers. So thank you for that. Here are a few links about what you can do, what you can use. 12 Factor is a good way to do your applications. Does it work? Oh. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, I just let the... And just feelings. Yeah. Thank you. Any question? <coughs> Thank you. Uh, are the hypervisors still long-lived and uh, maintained manually, or uh, do you manage to uh, apply the same process to hypervisors? Sorry, uh, could you repeat, please? Uh, the hypervisors. Yeah. Uh, are they still long-lived and managed manually? So we, yeah, yes and no. So hypervisors have a larger uh, life, but if we have to update an hypervisor, we just say to the cluster, Okay, so do not send new code to this one. Redeploy all of the applications that are on this hypervisor on the others, and now we rebuild that from scratch. And so it says doable like that, and we use KVM. Hello, thank you for the talk. Uh, I would like to ask you how are you managing the the data files that are modify, modified by the client itself? So we have, uh, we have two ways. Uh, so uh, it was NFS on another solution. We're moving everything to Ceph now. But there's a way for application to say, okay, there's this folder you can write into and it will be persisted and available for every uh, instance of the application. Uh, the rest of the file system will be just be white. Uh, on at each uh, restart. We also have uh, S3 compatible service called Cellar that's built on uh, React database. And for databases, uh, for which like the moving a database while it's in place, it's a bit hard. Uh, we're using safe block storage. We're, we're testing that right now. The idea is that we just tell the, the, the instance that starts and like starts a PostgreSQL uh, node in a cluster, okay, this, this block device is where you have your files and they are only yours. And if we want to move that server elsewhere, we just remove the node from the cluster and start a new instance, but the, the block device will be av available elsewhere. So, but managing the data part, like the, the persistence of the data is, I think, the hardest issue. Okay, thank you. Just a quick question, maybe. <laughs> okay, so thanks again. Okay, thank you. <laughs>